Well, again, it's summer, and I am glad you are here. I am so excited for what God wants to say to us in this brand new series called Ghost Stories. Uh, I don't know what your summer's been like, but I've been trying to figure a few things out that maybe I haven't figured out before. Have you ever tried something like that? You're like, I'm going to figure this thing out. One of those things for me is running. I'm continually to try to figure out how to be a better runner. So that involves food, that involves kind of what I eat, when I eat it, it involves sleep, it involves shoes, it involves all the nerdy things that I could spend an hour talking about with you. Uh, but I've never fully figured out how to run really well. I'm not elite by any means. And I've got friends who have competed in some major races, major distances, and I'm just like, how do you do that? Like, help me figure that out. I'm trying to figure out running. I'm also real just openly trying to figure out Michigan weather. I, I don't know how, if it's Phoenix or it's Alaska. Like it seems to be on, by the week, it just changes. And we canceled church in April. And I'm not sure that's ever happened in the history, at least of our church, especially not in my religious background. I've never canceled in April. So I'm trying to figure out, and I'll give Michigan grace. They're trying to figure it's, it's, itself out too, for sure. But the summer's been good and 390 degree heat's not too bad once in a while, right? So Michigan, you get a couple days. I'm still trying to figure out, it's summer, but I'm still trying to figure out the political climate we're in right now. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm not sure if I should watch CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or some random NPR thing. Like, I'm not really sure where to, where to get reliable information. I'm not sure to vote for when it comes up in a little bit. I'm not sure what to think about all the things that are happening in our world in terms of politics, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Maybe you're still trying to figure it out. I know the same is exactly true, even of my own marriage. And maybe you know this, if you're married or pursuing someone, you're still trying to figure out the relationship. Even people who've been married for 20, 30, 40 years would still say, ah, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like I haven't mastered my marriage yet. And that's certainly true for me approaching five years of marriage. There's a lot I'm still trying to figure out about Lindsay. And one thing is that she loves golden retriever puppies, which is why she's not here today. Because her mom had a bunch of golden retriever puppies. And so I got the boot. She was like, I'm going puppy. So I'm still trying to figure out what I did wrong or figure out what I'm doing right. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure out my marriage though. Uh, and maybe even for you, it, it goes bigger than just marriage. Maybe for you, you're still trying to figure out kind of your life purpose. Like, what am I supposed to do? What was I put on this earth to do? And maybe you're in a job that feels a little bit weird right now and you're not sure, am I gonna stay, should I go? Am I really in the right spot? We talk about this in church world, but am I in the right seat on the bus? Like, do I know where I'm supposed to be and am I living fully into that? Even for me in my own life, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out how has God uniquely hardwired me to serve him in this world? I don't know if I've figured that out yet. I don't know, maybe you would say you have, but I definitely don't think I've figured out God yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn and every time I approach the word in my own chair time and as I step into prayer and even environments like this every single week, man, there's still things I'm learning about God. I'm, my eyes are being opened to how good and unique of a creator God is in our world. I'm just still trying to figure that out. But I know even if I didn't sit down and have a conversation with you today, there's one thing that all of us agree upon and know about God. Now you may say you're a Christian or maybe you say you're not a Christian, but wherever you're at on that spectrum, there's one thing you and I all know is true about God. Is this, you can know a lot about God and not really know God. It's almost an alarming truth, the fact that you can know a lot about God without knowing God, right? There's a total difference between knowing a lot about something and knowing someone. 
And if you ask me and you, and, and we sat together and maybe talked about people in our lives who maybe have walked away from faith, who maybe have left the church or said, you know what, I tried the God thing, I'm out, it's not for me, it's not my thing, I would venture to say that most of those people in our life, I know this is true of people on my own, is that most of those people in my life who walked away would not describe their relationship with God as being a living, breathing, everyday kind of thing. It was something that maybe was reserved for a Sunday, maybe it was reserved for certain seasons of their life in which they were in a crisis or a problem arose, and, and they really needed Jesus, but it wasn't something that sustained them in a daily way. And maybe they walked away as a result of that. They didn't fully know God. If you dug into the inside of our soul, even this morning, you'd probably be able to say, yeah, there's been seasons in which I just felt far from God, in which there were some serious doubt questions in my life. Or I look at the injustice in the world around me, I'm like, man, if God is good and real, where is he? Like, what's he doing? Is he busy? Like, is he preoccupied? Like, there's things in our world. Maybe even in your own life, you may not confess this publicly, but maybe there are addictions and habits and patterns that... You're like, man, I just don't sense God at work in me anymore. And there's a disconnect between that. And I know for me, I've even said this in the quietness of my own soul. Man, wouldn't it just be easier if Jesus was here on earth? Like, wouldn't it just be easier to be a Christian if he was physically here? Like, instead of me preaching, I could show up to church and it's Jesus. Like, maybe you have me confused, but I'm definitely not. Like, I'm far from that. And, uh, but as you look at that, I'm just like, wouldn't it be easier? How many of you would say, yeah, it'd be easier. Just throw up your hand if you're like, yep, it would be actually easier if Jesus was here and I could physically follow and listen. Yeah, many of us, that's true. Well, did you know that Jesus disagrees with you? That Jesus doesn't agree that it'd be easier if he was here. That Jesus doesn't agree with my own conception of what it would mean to follow Jesus if he was physically here. And at first, that alarmed me. And I was like, oh, I'm doing this wrong. Like, I've got something mixed up. And then I was taken to the words in the book of John, the gospel of John. And if you've got your Bibles or Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to go there because there's going to be things you don't want to miss that actually will help you today follow Jesus better and more closely and make him real in your life. And so in John 16, uh, starting in verse 5, here's what we read. Jesus is talking to disciples here. And the fact that in a couple chapters later, he's about to leave. He's about to take this painful journey to the cross and to suffer and die for people like you and me. And then to be buried in a tomb like we just sang and then to be on the third day raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's setting this up and he's kind of communicating to his closest band of followers what's about to happen. In verse five, here's what we read. But now I'm going to him talking about the father who sent me. This is Jesus speaking. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you could see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This so is what Jesus' kind of last words in the last couple chapters of his life is communicating to these disciples, these followers, these students of Jesus. This is what he's saying. He actually says it's better. It's for your good 
that Jesus leaves the planet and allows the advocate. Another word for the advocate is the Holy Spirit. He brings us the Holy Spirit, a helper. And the word there in that specific verse is paraclete. It's really the idea of helper, or some translations say friend, best, closest friend. And the paraclete is, is really a helper in the sense that when the Holy Spirit steps into your world and you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that you actually can follow Jesus better than you ever have before. It's actually better for you that the Holy Spirit would dwell in your life. But Jesus is saying this, and they're not exactly the most comforting words, right? As the disciples are literally processing, and the word there is grief. It's not like a momentary sadness of like, oh my goodness, McDonald's doesn't have a Big Mac today. Like, it's not that. It's much deeper than that. It's more of an idea of a funeral in which the disciples are literally physically mourning and moved emotionally with grief. That Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, Lord, Savior, King, is going to the cross and is eventually going away, going to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus' best comforting words are, it's actually for your good. And that's like, that's a lot of help. Like, thanks a lot, Jesus. That's the best you have. Like, that's the most comforting thing you could say. That's actually for your good. Those disciples can't see it yet. They're blinded with emotion and, and there's pain and there's grief surrounding that. But in verse 7, we see the promise. Look with me if you've got the scriptures. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And here's the key. Unless I go away, the advocate, remember, the paraclete, the helper, Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the promise that Jesus being fully God and fully man, right? We believe this, fully God, fully man, could only really be at one place at one time. Yet, he's promising the Holy Spirit, his own living, breathing presence that will be at all places at all times with every single person who's committed their life to following the way of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has filled your life. And so as you look at that and you think about, okay, if the paraclete or helper is supposed to help us follow Jesus, what would that actually look like? Well, again, the best example is Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. It's rhetorical. You don't have to shout it back out. But the question is this. Did Jesus do the things he did because he was Jesus or because he had a real and dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Think about it. If Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he has the same resources available to him as you and I do as Christ followers, does that mean that he did the things he did, not out of some divine source, but out of a real and dynamic and powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit? I think we'll see the answer here in a couple verses, but it highlights the most important truth. And I don't know about you, but for many, many years of my life, I lived with a misconception. I lived with really at the core an untruth about who God was. And here was the thing. In my view, the Holy Spirit was some kind of force that if the worship leader did the right things and I kind of did the right things in my seat that just kind of descended upon to heaven. Maybe, I've even prayed, like, Holy Spirit, would you fall? Like, would you show up? Like, we hope we do the right things so you show up. And it highlighted a misconception. It's this, that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a power. Let me say that one more time. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. Throughout the scriptures, there is power from having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but that's not the point. 
The point is a real, living, active, dynamic relationship with the third person of the Trinity, with the Holy Spirit himself, with the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so even the New Testament writers, again, don't write about the Holy Spirit as if he's some kind of ghost story. Right? You remember ghost stories, or, or maybe you've even been in a surf and ha- service like this and had goosebumps, like, oh, that line in the song, that's my favorite, you kind of get the goosebumps, you're like, yes, he did it right, like, you didn't botch the vocal, like, it was awesome, the Holy Spirit showed up for sure, and uh, I've been in situations like that, I've even wanted to describe, like, oh, that was when the Holy Spirit showed up, but that highlights, again, a misconception, that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a power, can he move through emotion, yes, just like Lindsay can move me emotionally, he can move through emotions, and, and my relationship with my wife, Lindsay, has real power to it. There's things that we can do together that we can't do apart, but that is not the point of my relationship with Lindsay. My point is the relationship is to pursue her as a person, to love her. The Holy Spirit is the same way, but many of us view it as some kind of power or force that we just got to tap into, and then life would be a little bit easier following Jesus, but that is not what Jesus himself says it's kind of the fundamental difference between getting to know someone based on their Facebook page. How, raise of hands. How many of you have creeped someone on Facebook before you met them? All the rest of you are kind of lying, but you've done it, right? Maybe you interviewed someone for a job. What's one of the first things you look at? Facebook, right? You're like, I can kind of get a general idea of what this person is like, but you know the difference, especially if you interview them. You know the difference between getting to know someone based on their Facebook page and their real life breathing presence right in front of you. And, and this highlighted, this, art, with this truth highlighted why this article jumped out to me online. The ins and outs of Facebook creeping, increasingly popular pastime on social media. Baseball, hot dogs, Facebook creeping. Like that's kind of the American pastime. We're just, we're making it better. Like that's kind of, a, I didn't recognize we could call it a, a pastime. And it used to be called stalking. You remember this, right? Oh, I'm Facebook stalking. And now it's like softened. It's like, well, I'm just creeping. It's not as weird. It's more acceptable. Like that's the kind of, it just makes me laugh. Like our culture's funny that way. We are funny that way. But there's a massive difference between kind of Facebook creeping around versus sitting across and sharing a meal with someone, asking them about their story, seeing what they like, what they don't like, what the kind of foods they like, what their, their history is, like the relationships they have, what's important and valuable to them. None of us would want to sacrifice that kind of relationship with kind of a Facebook creeping around, not really fully sure. You can kind of paint the picture you want online. It may not be a full representation of what you're really like. It's kind of like trying to follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit is there's kind of a, there's knowledge, I can pick things up here and there, but there's no vibrant relationship there yet. And the Holy Spirit empowers that relationship, helps you and I to follow Jesus. And the primary way he does that, we see in verse 8. Jesus says when he comes, talking again about the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me, and about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world, that's Satan, now stands condemned. The primary area, and let me speak really, really clearly, the primary area that for you and I trips us up when it comes to following Jesus is not fully knowing the truth. And here's what I mean by that. 
if you determine that your life is based around your career accomplishments, your success, how much you can accumulate wealth before you retire, all of those things are really based on a lie. They're based on the lie that says you are what you do. You are the, the money in your account. You are kind of the career achievements that you can land in a certain span of time. That is not what the scriptures say. The scripture says you are who God says you are. You are chosen in Christ. You are loved. You are valued. You're safe. All the things that every time I drive into the church, I read that are true about me because of what God says. The other thing would be there's people in our life who, who determine that other people's perception is the most important. So I'm going to manage that, whether it's online or in real life. I'm going to going to make sure that my hair looks great every time I'm out the door. I'm going to make sure that my clothes are right and fashionable. I'm going to make sure the car I drive is, is kind of up to the standard of what's cool and what's acceptable, maybe in the neighborhood in which I live. And yet that is based on a lie, in essence, that I am what other people think about me. And the truth is, I am what God thinks about me. As you look at those things, they're all lies. And the only way you can know between the truth and a lie is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, that it actually helps us, the Holy Spirit in the relationship with him, helps us to discern between truth and lie. When he comes, and he has come, when he comes, he will help the world discern where they've been wrong. That's primary function of the Holy Spirit and this relationship. Let me play this out a little bit for you. So Satan has a view of these three things that Jesus lists right here. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Satan's view of sin is to downplay its impact. Say, I know that that was kind of a flirty conversation with that person, but it's not a big deal. It's not going to go anywhere. If they want to grab lunch, you should do it. Like, there's no real problem there. Sin downplays impact. And about righteousness, when Satan approaches the word righteousness, his view in the scriptures reveal this is that how you live is generally irrelevant. Like how you and I actually live, as long as I'm not violently hurting someone, it's okay. Like it doesn't really have any ramifications. What I do in private on my computer has no effect on how I am in my marriage. What I do privately around my kids has no effect in public or how other people will view me. Jump to the third word, judgment. Judgment, in Satan's view, is that you and I get to decide what's right and wrong. Despite shifting morality and over the centuries, that may change, but fundamentally, we get to decide what's right or wrong in our world. And obviously, all those things have kind of a skewed truth to them, and that's precisely what Satan's good at, is helping you think that something is true that really is a lie. And so God's view is the Holy Spirit steps in your life. I bet some of you have experienced this. God's view is that sin itself is moral separation from God. There's a breaking of relationship every time you willfully sin. There's a, a need for grace there. There's a need to repent and to turn back to God in those moments. The second word is righteousness. And God's view is that there actually is a standard. There's an objective morality to our world that's set by his character, that really you can know what's right or wrong. Despite the shifting political climate, you can really stand in the truth and know what's right and wrong. And the third is judgment. This word, in God's view, means ultimately that sin as a system and as individuals and Satan will be defeated. That's good news. 
is that there is ultimate victory that Jesus through his his death and resurrection has achieved victory on our behalf. That's the good news of the gospel and that you and I through that have new power to follow him. Is that through his victory on the cross, you and I can actually live out that. But the only way you can know the difference between those two views is the Holy Spirit. Is to help you discern. Later in this chapter, Jesus talks about the Spirit as being the Spirit of truth. Helping you really know what is true. Because our world will not give you a clear answer. Your own life. The scriptures say our heart is deceitful above all things. We will trick ourselves into thinking something is true that might not be true. And the Holy Spirit helps us to discern that. I was reminded on my 392 degree run yesterday afternoon of this fundamental truth. I was reminded of this. I was thinking about today and thinking about this passage and there's a lot of things, again, I'm learning and figuring out about God. And I don't, I'm not content with just knowing about God, are you? I don't want to just know about it. I want to really know him. And so I was running and thinking about this, and I was either hallucinating or God was speaking to me. I'm not sure. There was a lot of sweat. It was clouding my vision as well. And I was running and thinking about this, and God spoke to me, I think. Now, I say I think because I can't be 100% certain. I'm not sure what he sounds like, uh, but I know that the Holy Spirit often will prick my conscience. That's one of the best ways to know God is speaking to you is if there's something internally just feels off. And so the Holy Spirit, I believe, was speaking to me, and and highlighted a TV show in my life. Now, I'm not sure why exactly, but I was, I was running and thinking about this TV show, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, helped me discern a truth, that there was a TV show. It's not right or wrong. I wouldn't be embarrassed to say necessarily what it was and, with you, but as I was watching this show, I, I could sense my, my life and character drifting away from what I know Jesus wants for me. I had a decision to make. As the Holy Spirit spoke to me about that TV show, I knew clearly I needed to go home and stop watching that show because my plan was to go home and lay on the couch and watch this specific show, maybe to watch a couple or finish a season or maybe two. I'm not sure. You know how that goes, right? I'm not the only one. Okay, just making sure. And so I went home, and again, I had a decision. I could listen to the Holy Spirit. And discern that there was a, a, a lie that I bought into that ha- what I was watching really doesn't have an effect on my character, doesn't matter to my integrity, doesn't really affect my relationships, or I could buy into the truth that it does matter, that God does care about my character, and God does want me to be transformed into his image. And so I had a decision, watch the show or not. And I chose not to. I chose to never watch that show again, not because it was morally wrong because my relationship with Jesus was not growing as a result. And so I had to stop. Now, I really want to know how it ends, but it's not worth it to me. And here's why. The Holy Spirit helped me to discern the truth from a lie of what really matters. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, not just some kind of power I access here and there, I was able to hear and to respond to that. And it's sort of like when you get called out in your own life, right? Maybe it's an employee or a spouse or a kid sometimes. They call you out and you know it's true. You have a choice in those moments too. Will I respond or will I shrug it off? And the more you respond, the more you respond well and often immediately. See, I didn't have a choice. I'm not going to go home and then watch one episode and then stop. Because a habit you won't start today, you are not starting tomorrow. And so I had a decision, will I do that 
or will I shrug it off? And by doing that, I just increase, just like you will, my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and God's voice in my own life. I want you to catch that. If you follow Jesus, that is critical to your growth. If you listen and respond immediately when the Holy Spirit speaks and helps you discern a truth from a lie, you will grow as a result. You will hear his voice more often. But if you shrug it off, say, I'm not going to do that, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's a, it's a little sin, who cares? It's a little, I, I decide what's right or wrong. God, you can't tell me what to do. You will miss his voice more often. And so, as a result of that, after I was running and after I kind of fleed temptation in a way and just said, nope, I'm going to pursue the way of Jesus. I'm going to choose integrity. I'm going to walk away from that despite my desire to know how it ends. It doesn't matter. Like, that's not the most important thing. And as I look at that, I wonder how many of us would like that kind of experience every single day? Because that's not my current experience. I don't know if that's yours yet. I want that to be every single day. I want to know that Man, God spoke to me and I acted immediately. I've got his power in my life. I've got an awareness of him around me. Even though he's not physically here, as I develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I can know that. And I think the way you do that and what Jesus points to in other scriptures and what the the New Testament writers again and again reference is actually found in Ephesians 5. You don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul says that do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does he mean? Well, literally, in that case, he meant don't get drunk with wine. (laughs) There's not much more to dig in there. But he's pointing out a greater truth. Don't be controlled and led by what the world says is normal. Because that is a struggle for all of us, right? What the world says is normal. But be filled, be led, be guided, be directed by the Holy Spirit, by relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so... The plan, the way you can actually live this out and hear God's voice more and follow him more closely is as simple as this. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds abstract. I I get that. And there's some tools that Jesus gives us. But one of the most painful seasons of my life was my first Greek grammar class. And it reminds me of this verse, and here's why. It was an 8 a.m. class. I was just talking to someone before service, and somehow I managed to have all 8 a.m. classes through college. Really nice. Like, thanks a lot, counselor. You did nothing for me. <laughs> like, and I know him. He's kind of a nice guy. But I'm sitting there, and I'm in this 8 a.m. class. One of the first days, my professor drops his assignment in front of us, and it's like, by the end of this course, you are going to fully be able to parse and read and understand the passage of Ephesians 5, that verse we just talked about. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. And I was like, uh, you sure? <laughs> like I, I'm not good at school. I don't know if this is going to work out very well. And by the end, I did figure that out. But the one thing I remember from that Greek grammar class was this whole idea of present continuous verbs. You may know these if you studied four languages. They're not in many languages, but in biblical Greek, there's an idea of present continuous. And that literally means something that happens and is going to keep happening. And when Paul talks about the cross, he says the saving work of Christ, it's not just like a one and done, like, oh, you missed it, too bad, it already happened. But it's actually a continual saving. In the same way, Paul writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Present continuous. It's a word that has action, not just for a moment, but for 
the, the future as well. So ask to be filled and keep being filled. As I thought about how would we do that, I thought of five quick ways. And if you're a note taker, I want you to capture these. They won't be on the screen. But there are five ways that the scriptures lift out for us and people in my life have instructed me as well who are much wiser and smarter than me. The first is simple. Ask for more. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you just got to ask. Ask for more. Sense that God is calling you to greater and step into it. Say, God, I want more. There's a prayer that God will always answer in your life, and it's for more of him. He'll never say no. He will always respond with a yes. Ask for more. The second is for those of you who have taken steps to maturity in Christ is to grow and know God's word. Many of us will never know the truth from a lie because we don't know the truth to begin with. And the Holy Spirit will help us to discern. Ask for more. Know God's word. The third is a challenge to some of you is obey what you already know. Right? How many times in our life, maybe even for you, you'd say real practically, there's some sins and some patterns in my life I'm still dealing with because I didn't listen to what God said initially. Maybe it's a TV show like it was for me. If I just kept watching that and kept like, I don't know why my character's drifting away from Jesus. I don't know. Think about the last thing that he told you and do that. Obey what you already know. The fourth is a challenge for those of you who maybe have grown beyond some of this, but it's to begin to risk something. You will never need God's power for something that requires only yours. You will never need to, to really have God's power and, and breathing presence in your life if you're not doing things that don't require him. Again, that may come down to sharing your faith or repairing a relationship or stepping up to serve or to give more. Or what, I don't know what it is exactly, but for you, it may be to risk something. And the fifth thing is one all of us can do. It's very simple. Not only is it asking for more, but it's keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, and then, then we're done. I mean, this is simple, but it's, and then we're done. And so a couple months ago, Lindsay and I were looking for a second car. And there was a certain car that I had on my mind. And uh, it, it became like an obsession. I, I will say that. I don't own it, so you can see how well that worked out. But I really wanted it. And I love the old version. I love the new one. It is a brand new Toyota FJ Cruiser. Now, I don't know how you feel about these cars. Some people are like, wow, that's the ugliest thing ever. Others are like, you're right, that is really cool. But something happened when I decided that's the car I want. And maybe this has happened to you. I saw it everywhere. I could not get away from it. Like, it would just, it was like everyone in the world started to own an FJ Cruiser around me. Every ad on Craigslist was like, oh, an FJ Cruiser. Or you like saw something else. And every time I was on Facebook, it was like it was listening to me because it probably does. And it was like, oh, you want an FJ Cruiser, don't you? I'm like, no, 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 resist temptation. Discern the truth from a lie. I don't need the FJ Cruiser. But I just started to see them everywhere. Every time we'd go on a trip, they were there. I could be driving, driving to the office and pass 50 cars, and the only one I really noticed was the person with the FJ Cruiser in my life. It's actually, scientists have diagnosed this and figured out there's actually a word, a term for it. This term is called the Bader-Meinhof Phenomenon. These two German scientists found out that as you look for something, you see it more often. That's why keeping your eyes open when it comes to the Holy Spirit is so key. The more you look, the more you're going to see. The more you have your eyes open to what Jesus is doing in your life, the more you're going to see it. The more you ask and seek to be filled and keep being filled, the more you're going to be aware of how the Holy Spirit is filling your own life. 
Now, scripture writers talk very, very severely about those of us who try to follow Jesus yet don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. They describe it as spiritual death. That's not very nice, but it's true. If you try to follow Jesus and live a godly life without the power of the Holy Spirit, eventually you'll burn out, grow fatigued, and fall away. You will die spiritually. But if you and I choose to, to keep being filled, to ask for more, to know God's word, to obey what you know, to risk something, to keep our eyes open, you and I will experience the Holy Spirit like never before. In John 7, Jesus talks about this. The life that is directed and has a relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a river of living water. And rivers don't just make their own passageway better. They make everything around that ecosystem better. They make it grow. Wouldn't you like your life to be like that? A river of living water to your coworkers, to your employees, to your friends, your students, people that are far from God. Wouldn't you just love to walk into a room and just be a river of living water to them? I know that's Jesus' desire for us. And last thing I want to say is this, that if we understand this to the full, that if a group of people did this, a group of people decided we're going to live this out, here's what would happen. I believe that a church that is devoted to the mission and full of the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. I don't say that based on kind of idealism. I don't even say that just because it sounds good on a slide. I say that because that's the evidence of the church in the, in the New Testament. It's what we read in this book, that a church that's devoted to the mission and full of the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. Despite persecution, which will, which will come, Despite people walking away who really weren't bought in in the first place, which will happen? You and I will experience the impossible through the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a ghost story. It's for you. So let me pray for you. I'd love to do that. And just invite the Holy Spirit, even now, to fill us. And, and, and we want to ask for more as a church. So, Father, we just open our hands to you. We just say we are willing and ready and excited for you to fill our lives with your Holy Spirit. Help us to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for those today who really want more of you. I pray that you would answer that and do it now. That their lives now would be directed and guided towards your Holy Spirit in them. And really, that's what we long for. We long to be a part of a group of people like this who are devoted to the mission of seeing zero lives unchanged, but also are full of the Holy Spirit, that our lives are literally being transformed day by day into your image. Help us, Jesus. Help us to be open to you. Help us not to miss what you have. Help us not just to know about you, but to really know you. We love you and pray this all in the name of Jesus and in his spirit. Amen.